Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hi, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and this is the fourth episode of a six-part series looking at ways to overcome the biggest mental health challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. On this episode, we're talking about anxiety and diabetes. We know that living with diabetes can increase your anxiety, and this anxiety looks different for different people. My guest today is Alexi Melvin. Alexi was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was 14, and she's dealt with anxiety related to her diabetes for a long time. She has some really great advice for us on how to manage anxiety and not let it take over your life. Alexi is passionate about being a voice for people living with T1D everywhere, and she currently serves as the chair of Beyond Type 1's Leadership Council's content committee. Here's my conversation with Alexi. So hi, Alexi. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, considering the craziness of the world today, I'm doing all right. Thanks. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. You know, we're here to talk about your experience with anxiety and diabetes. Uh, but I want to get started with just asking you to tell us a little bit about your life with diabetes right now. When, when you were diagnosed, what was your experience and kind of what's been going on for you since then with diabetes? So I was diagnosed when I was 14. Um, I was just um, sort of getting into my sophomore year of high school at a new school. So that was kind of rough. Um, I think I, I jumped into the type one community pretty quickly. Um, you know, back then I think JDRF was the only thing that was really around, you know, at going to, to walks and volunteering and things like that. So, um, you know, I would say pretty early on, I wanted to be involved in the community you know, started off on syringes and, you know, CGMs weren't really a thing back then. So, uh, you know, there's definitely a part of me that's still kind of, kind of old school today in, in that way. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, my, my involvement in the community has really carried me through, um, to today. Uh, so, so today I work for Beyond Type 1 and I am a staff writer and I really, I love, I still love engaging with the community. Um, and, you know, it's, it hasn't been easy. Obviously I had to, um, you know, do some, do some work on myself to really wrap my mind around dealing with this, you know, autoimmune disease, whether it be, you know, studying meditation, um, really getting in touch with myself, um, to be able to, you know, sort of engage with people, um, like I'm doing today. Yeah. So tell me about the biggest mental health challenges that you've experienced with diabetes kind of throughout your time. So at diagnosis and then moving forward to now, what have been the biggest challenges that you've had? I have dealt with social anxiety since I can remember, since I can talk basically. And so, you know, that was, you know, getting, when I was diagnosed with type one, that was, that was just an extra hit. You know, that was something that I felt self-conscious about. It was something that I felt held me back for a long time. Um, I had anxiety about uh, primarily lows. Um, so, you know, I went through several years where I would keep myself way too high um, for, for fear of, of getting low. Yeah, yeah. So, I've, you know, I, I dealt with that for a long time. Um, you know, I think especially getting diagnosed at 14, um, 
you know, I feel like that's for a lot of us the time when we want to really start taking control of our lives and kind of uh, learn who we are and decide what we want to do in life and uh, not having control of my body in a certain way was, was really, really difficult. So I think that combined with, you know, the anxiety, the social anxiety was, was uh, very hard and it still is hard at times today. Yeah. So let's dig into those things. So I, I heard three different things there. I heard one social anxiety, two fear of lows, and then three, this general fear of being out of control of your own body. Right. So let's start, let's start with the social anxiety, especially being in high school and how social anxiety combined with being different because if you had diabetes, that combination sounds like it may have been really challenging. Yeah. You know, I, I've always been an artistic kid. I loved acting and I didn't act at all. You know, like I could have been involved in theater. I could have done a lot of different things, but um, I was too afraid of uh, being judged, you know. Um, before I got diagnosed, I was I was afraid of being judged for being a little quiet, you know. I was always kind of an observer in the room, and and people would kind of give me a hard time for it. And then um, once I got diagnosed, I was afraid that I would need to go off and check my blood sugar, or you know, I would pass out, or uh, people would say things behind my back. So you know, I I definitely felt um, that I was held back by that. Yeah, and being different, especially in high school with diabetes. I think it's one of the biggest challenges. People really hide it. Did you, did you hide diabetes in high school um, because of that? I don't, I wouldn't say I hid it. The first couple of years, you know, it's, it was so different back then because, um, you know, kids in high school today have CGMs, they have the technology. So it's a little bit more visible in a way. When I was in high school, we, you know, we kept our meters in the nurse's office there wasn't a whole lot of people seeing me do things that were type one management related, unless I had to get up in the middle of the class and go check my blood sugar in the nurse's office. <laughs> they kind of wondered what I was doing or why I got to leave class early, you know, things like that. I had a little bit of a community in, in the nurse's office. There was maybe like five, four or five of us that had type one. So that was, that was kind of, that was something that made me feel a little bit like I belonged somewhere. Tell me a little bit about your fear of lows. And that because that, that sounds like debil debilitating having to keep your blood sugar high and probably avoiding activities that you thought felt may cause it to go low. You know, I would say the first year and a half, maybe, of having type one, I I think you know the 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 potential side effects, the potential um, risks didn't really hit me very hard. I was just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, I um I have to calculate my carbs and I take this much insulin and it'll be fine. You know, and I was still kind of like in the honeymoon period where it wasn't too crazy, I would say, um, you know, and I obviously didn't have a CGM where I could see the severe ups and downs as well. Um, but I remember uh, sitting, you know, in class one day and I felt dizzy and, you know, I knew my meter was in the nurse's office. My, I kind of, you know, it hit me really hard. I was kind of like, oh my gosh, what if I'm really, really low right now and I can't, get there in time, you know, and I, I just remember that so strongly, you know, that was when my anxiety really, really started. Um, and so, you know, after high school, I went to New York City. Um, I had been living in Arizona. And so I went to New York City to study um, acting. And, um, you know, I, I started, uh, you know, I was in acting school. And I also worked at like a Broadway theater um, as an usher. 
And, you know, a lot of those scenarios, you know, when you're up on stage or when you're, um, you know, working uh, as an usher, you know, like showing people their seats and things like that for long periods of time, like you, I, I couldn't really stop and check my blood sugar. So I, you know, for fear of going low, I would, I would make sure I was just incredibly high and, um, you know, it took a toll. I, I felt really bad. I felt really sick all the time. Um, now obviously looking back now, it seemed ridiculous, but you know, I was just, I was trying to protect myself. Have you ever had a low that you needed help with? You know, no, I haven't. Um, you know, I've, I've had, I've gotten down to maybe the high forties. I think that was the lowest I've been. And obviously I had to, um, you know, luckily I think at that point, uh, my mom was nearby, but, um, I, yeah, I didn't really have any major traumatic experiences that led to this fear. I think it's, you know, the fear of the unknown is, is almost scarier than the, than, than the reality. I think that sometimes we hear these stories from other people about what happened for them or that or from our doctors about how you know low blood sugars are so dangerous and that really can kind of feed into that anxiety quite a bit yeah yeah definitely you know as i said being being involved in the community is is a blessing in a lot of ways mm -hmm. but hear the stories a lot <laughs> so yeah it can definitely feed into the the anxiety yeah, tell me a little bit more, more about that, being involved in the community and, you know, hearing stories about Lowe's, but about other things. How has that both helped and also been challenging for your anxiety? Um, you know, it's always great to, to feel like you have um, a safe space to talk about your fears, your anxieties, um, you know, also to support other people, meet other people that have had similar experiences, but also different, you know, you kind of, um, type one is not the same for, for everyone, but you know, there's also that pressure to kind of compare yourself, you know, there's, there's influencers, you know, on Instagram and social media today that, you know, a lot of them are very raw and honest, which is, mm -hmm. which is great. You know, they, they talk very candidly about, um, their good days and their bad days. And sometimes their bad days can, can scare you a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and on the, on the other end of that spectrum, you know, some of the influencers I think try to, um, or, you know, not, not consciously do this, but maybe talk just primarily about the good days. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's more, you know, in terms of anxiety that can make you feel, um, like you're not doing, you're not good enough. Um, and, you know, putting pressure on yourself to do better. Yeah. One thing I've noticed with talking to people who have a fear of lows, a lot of people are in the same boat as you and they've never had a traumatic experience. They just have this general fear uh, that, that comes from reading or talking to other people or talking to doctors. But their bigger fear is, is not necessarily going low, but it's not being able to handle it if they did go low. If they were in a situation like being an usher at a Broadway show or on stage, where if that happens to me, like I'm not going to be able to handle that situation. Is that something that you can identify with? Yeah, I definitely think so. I, you know, I, I think it's a matter of not trusting that you can handle it or not, not trusting that you'd have the help that you need. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, I, some of the best advice I've gotten about that is have a plan, you know, have a, mm -hmm a plan for each scenario have a plan for if you're at home alone um have a plan for if you're at work and and you know if you if you have a plan if you have people you can reach out to if you have 
you know, a bag of stuff you can grab, you know, whatever. Like if you have a plan and you're like in the back of your head, that's all you can really do, you know? So yeah. if, if you have that sort of that comfort of I'm doing the best I can, you know, I think that's, it's, it's helpful. Yeah. And part of that is being able to trust yourself that you're going to be able to recognize your symptoms and also be able to take action. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which leads into the third, the, the third bucket of anxiety you talked about is being out of control of your body and kind of feeling like you don't have much control there. And so that, I mean, that plays into a fear of, a fear of lows of my body's out of control and I'm not going to be able to be able, I'm not going to be able to do anything to help myself if that happens. Right. Yeah. Being out of control. It's, it's not, a, it's not a good feeling. Um, <laughs> but you know, in a way that's sort of just like you're looking at your body as kind of an enemy, you know, like your, your mm-hmm. body after you, which is terrifying. You know, you're, you're supposed to trust your body. If you, if anything, you know, it's, um, not feel like it's, it's, um, against you. So, um, you know, I think, what helps me is kind of looking at it not as the enemy, but as an ally, you know, your, mm-hmm. your, your body, mind, and spirit are all kind of in this together. Um, you know, it's, you're not, you're not fighting the disease. You're, you're sort of riding the waves as, as best you can. So, um, you know, looking at it from that perspective is, is a lot healthier than, than thinking that you know, your, your body's out to get you. Yeah, for sure. So on that note, it sounds like you have some great strategies that you've used in your life to help you deal with anxiety around diabetes and also anxiety in life that has impacted your, your diabetes, whether it was related to diabetes or not. And I want to hear about what you've done and what's, what's worked really well for you. You know, obviously routines are good. Um, bad, you know, sometimes not necessarily bad, but you can, you can have a routine that still sort of leave room for, for, for fun. But having routines in terms of, um, you know, meals that you know how your blood sugar is going to react typically, um, that's that's something comforting that you know you can rely on. Um, not to say you can't, you know, experiment with other things, but if you're having a particularly rough blood sugar day and you're afraid or, if, you know, you're home alone or something like that, you know, having those routines are, are comforting. Mm-hmm. You know, and just really keeping your thoughts in the present. You know, I, I really had to do a lot of um, study with that in terms of, you know, meditation and energy work and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you can, you can it, it's a hard concept. It seems simple, but it's really not. But, um, you know, really keeping your thoughts in the present and knowing that worrying about a potential outcome, it's it's putting yourself through it twice. You know, it's it's... Mm-hmm. Often the fear of it is way, way worse than the actuality of it. So um, really just keeping your thoughts in the present, knowing that, okay, you know, yeah, I might be low at some point, but I'm not right now. Um, uh, you know, identifying a support system, uh, mm-hmm. people that you want to put on your Dexcom share, um, knowing who's going to be reliable if, if there's an emergency and really trusting in that. You have to learn to trust, trust others as well as yourself. Um, and, and really just not, um, not judging the fears and the thoughts that might come up, mm-hmm. you know, what's, you know, you're frustrated. Maybe you're having a really bad day, you know, blood sugar wise, or, um, just in general, you know, okay, you're frustrated. So don't try to fight that emotion. Um, mm-hmm. you know, acknowledge it, let it in. Uh, it might, it might hang around. It might not, you know, but mm-hmm. acknowledge it 
it can release a lot quicker. So the, the not, the not judging yourself is, is potentially the best thing that I can, that I can offer. Yeah. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm actually very much on the same page as you in terms of using mindfulness and using acceptance as a way to deal with anxiety and deal with, deal with the emotional challenges of diabetes, because we know that you can't make them go away. There's no magic bullet that you can snap your fingers and say, I want my anxiety to leave. It may say stick around, but being able to be flexible with that being there. I read some really interesting research recently. They did a small study where they were, they found a way to um, ask people what they were thinking about. And what they found was that 47% of people's thoughts were either in the past or in the future. Mm-hmm. So th- th- their mind was not in the present moment almost 50% of the time. And that was shocking to me because if, you're, if, if, if your mind is in the past or the, or the future, you can only behave in the present you can, and you can only ride those waves in the present. And if you're lost in the past or the future, it makes it really challenging. Get, let's get wrapped up in those really negative emotions. All right. The other thing I wanted to mention is that um, being present is helpful and not, and not being in the future and thinking about what could happen. And that's different from planning. Yes. Uh, so there's, yeah, I, I agree that there's a difference. You know, I, I think planning, you can still be in the present moment while you're planning. You know, it's, you, you have that plan. It's there, it's solid. And then, you know, so once you do that, you don't need to really go back to that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be there for comfort. Right. Um, whereas whether you have a plan or you don't, it's, you know, going back to sort of the, you know, let's say a past experience or a future experience like that, that's taking you out of the present. Right. Um, Nothing wrong with planning. Planning, no. planning, pl- planning is a good thing. You, know, and you want to plan for your vacation. You want to plan for emergencies. And that's not getting lost in the future. That's just, that's planning for the future. As opposed mm-hmm. to having your mind go to the future and live there. And, then, exactly. and, and, fe- and feed the anxiety that you're having at that time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what is the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten around dealing with the mental health challenges of living with diabetes? Uh, you know, I think I've, I've spoken about most of it, but, you know, I think, um, the, the having a plan, um, was, came from, a like a therapist that I, that I saw. Um, and, you know, I, I had sort of been, I, I had sort of gotten lost in the sort of like spiritual alignment, energy work, you know, like dealing with, with emotions and thoughts and which is all great, but like, I, I kind of, it kind of took me out of the very practical ways to, you know what I mean? Like Uh I have a plan, outline something, you know, like outline the people that you trust, um, have a, have a, you know, a go bag ready. Let's say, you know, worst case scenario, you're super low, you know, you, you might have to go to the hospital, like have a bag of stuff, you know, it's it's these very kind of simple things that bring you a lot of comfort. Um, and that, and that can be different for each person, but, um, as, as much as, um, as much as processing thoughts and things that might come up, like the, the, the super simple material things are, are also very, very helpful. I love that because I think that sometimes we overcomplicate our mental health and what, and what we have to do to manage it and what we have to right. do to make things better. And sometimes it's just the super simple things that we don't think about or we think are, are too simple to ha- even make a difference or the things that actually bring us the most comfort. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even something as simple as like, you can call 911 and they will come. Just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just the knowledge of that is, is comforting. And also gives you that stability because, you know, talk, going back to that feeling of being out of control, the more that you can be in control in realistic ways, the more that you have, have a plan and you have the ability to, you know, to handle situations, the more comforted and the more stable you're going to feel, which is, is going to help you manage the anxiety that you have. I agree. Awesome. Well, Alexi, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a great conversation and I appreciate your time. Absolutely. I'm glad we could talk about this. It's, you know, hopefully it, hopefully it helps um, other people, but you know, it, it even helps me to talk about it. So it's, it's, it's been great. Thank you for having me. We throw the term anxiety around a lot. And I think that everybody with type one diabetes knows what it feels like and what the experience is like to be anxious. However, I don't know that we always know what the definition of anxiety is. And so before I get going here, I want to share with you a de- one definition of anxiety that I found. Anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about something with an uncertain outcome. And doesn't that really define what diabetes feels like sometimes? Diabetes is full of uncertainty, both about what's going to be happening with our blood sugars, what's going to be uh, posing a danger to us, what's going to happen in the future with um, our relationships in relationship to diabetes, how healthy are we going to be in the future. And that can be, it's challenging to face. that, that, That sort of thing is challenging to face. Anxiety looks different for different people. For some people, it's in their mind. And they really get stuck in their mind in the future. So they're think that they, they get lost and they're, they're stuck thinking about what's going to be happening in the future, in the future for them and worrying about it and the taking them out of the present moment. For other people, anxiety is in their body. So they just have a sense of tension or a sense of unease. Uh, they have, you know, sweating, they, they sweat or they shake. Um, and, or, and for some people, it's a combination of both. They have the, they have body anxiety and also mind anxiety. And I think those are things that are important that you want to be paying attention to and seeing how, how anxiety impacts you. We oftentimes think about anxiety as being completely negative. And I want to, um, challenge that thought for just a minute because with, especially with diabetes, Anxiety can actually be helpful sometimes. Let me give you this scenario. Imagine that you are getting ready for bed and your blood sugar is 75. And maybe you had a snack a little while ago, but you have five units of insulin on board. If you didn't feel a little bit anxious about that, I would be worried about you. And your anxiety is there to keep you safe. You want that, that it gives you pause and it gives you a little bit of worry that, oh my gosh, maybe I have too much insulin on board with, a, with too low of a blood sugar to be going to bed right now. And maybe I should have a snack before I go to bed. That it's anxiety that pushes you to do that. It's anxiety that pushes you to keep yourself safe. The problem be, the problem happens though when that anxiety is either overwhelming or the worry about what's happening for you is not realistic. So imagine the same scenario. You check your blood sugar before bed and you're you're at 160 and you haven't had any food and you have no insulin on board and you're worried about going low in the middle of the night. And over the past week, you haven't gone low at all. Your basal rates seem to be set at the right spot. 
but you're still anxious and you can't sleep because you're worried about low blood sugar. And so you go and eat something and have your blood sugar go higher. That is an example of anxiety that's not particularly helpful because it's not based on any kind of realistic fear. It's not based on a threat that you have. It, it gets, you get caught up in your mind about these possibilities that aren't exactly probable. And it's not, they're, they're not exactly, good, they're probably not going to happen. And it can be overwhelming and really impact your behavior. But the reality is, is that diabetes is going to cause anxiety. I think that that's, that, that is, um, the important thing to realize, uh, because simply because it has a lot of variables, you know, food, insulin, sleep, alcohol, um, what you're eating, all those things um, are come into play as well as relationships and how people are going to perceive you and what, and what could happen and complications. All of those things can kind of come together and cause you to be anxious. And I think that what we want to emphasize here is that while we can't take away the anxiety, that, that anxiety is going to be a natural, sometimes helpful, sometimes unhelpful, but a natural part of living with diabetes, the important thing is, is how it affects you and how you handle it, and then also how it impacts your behavior. And if we can break those couple things down, I think that we can give ourselves some tools to be able to manage, manage anxiety with diabetes a little bit better. I really appreciate Lexi's honesty and openness and willingness to talk to me about her experiences with diabetes because I think that there are things that a lot of us can relate to. And she talked about a couple different ways that she feels anxiety around diabetes. And I want to spend some time talking and diving a little bit deeper into each one of those things. There were a couple of things that really struck me when I heard Alexi talking about her anxiety and how it was related to other people and a really a fear of being judged. The first is how debilitating that can be. I know I can tell you that I have met a lot of people who are really worried about what diabetes means about them and what other people think about them because they have diabetes and how that's going to and how that impacts their relationships and how that impacts how they relate to other people and how that relates to what they do in their world. So for Lexi, uh, she had a, a fear of being judged and that, and so she stopped acting. She stopped doing the thing that she really loved to do because she was worried that people would think differently of her. The other thing that I thought was really notable about that is that Alexi also has, she's talked about having social anxiety, which is really challenging as well. So, but it's important to see that diabetes here doesn't live in a bubble. So for Alexi, her social anxiety and her worry about what people would think about her were certainly very related, re- related to each other. And so other things that are going on in her life and other challenges, other challenges that she has were really compounded by diabetes and diabetes made them even more difficult to deal with. However, it's also important to note that Sometimes anxiety about diabetes can be only about diabetes. And if you take diabetes away, the anxiety would go away. So I can think of a couple people that I know who don't like to give insulin injections in public because just a fear of what they're going to, what people will think about them. They're going to be stared down. And 
that, and so they do things like go to the bathroom and they go out they go they go out of their way to hide those hide the fact that they have diabetes by not managing diabetes in front of other people for these people if you took diabetes away from them if diabetes was magically cured their anxiety would likely go away they would they don't have anxiety around what other people think about them in other areas of their life but it's really pinpointed on diabetes Alexi also talked about her anxiety around low blood sugar and a fear of low blood sugar that she that she has. And this is really something we don't talk enough about. There are so many people with type 1 diabetes who have fear of lows. And they, sometimes they go to some really great lengths and some really unhealthy lengths to avoid go having low blood sugar. And it impacts their health. And it also impacts their daily functioning, their ability to do things in their life that they want to do. So with Alexi, she said that she was keeping her blood sugar really, really high when she was working or when she was on stage, which just made her feel awful. And it really impacted like her life because she felt so bad for ha with having high blood sugars. But that was a price that she was willing to pay to avoid going low, to avoid the embarrassment of going low, also to avoid the danger of going low. With Alexi, though, she mentioned that she had never had a low blood sugar where she, she needed any help or, she's, or she was passed out. And that's actually really common in my experience. I've seen a lot of people who have a fear of low blood sugar and they go to great lengths to try to avoid those low blood sugars. And they have never had a low that's, that it's been a real emergency, but they have this fear about what could happen because of stories that they've heard from their doctor or things that they've read online or just fears that they have developed on their own. And so that is really challenging for them because they don't really know what to expect. They don't know that they can handle or they don't know if they can handle low blood sugar. And so they put the brakes on it. They say, I'm going to do whatever I can to not have low blood sugar because I just don't want to go there. And for Alexi, this really impacted her health and her, her the, the way that she felt physically. For other people, it impacts their behavior. So pe some people, they avoid doing things, things like hiking or biking or running and driving because they're worried that if they, they're worried about a couple things. One, they're worried that these activities will actually increase their risk of having a low blood sugar. They're also worried that if they have a low blood sugar in those situations, they won't be able to handle it. They won't have sugar with them. They won't have the ability to think about what to do and make a plan and take care of themselves when their blood sugar is low. There are also other people who, ha who have had severe low blood sugars where they needed glucagon or they needed to go to the hospital and for them that's a really traumatic experience and they want to avoid having that happen again. I get a lot of questions from people about how to make anxiety about diabetes go away and what I tell them is actually very counterintuitive. In order to, in order to reduce anxiety and to make yourself feel less anxious the key is actually not avoiding things that make you anxious. The key is leaning into those things. And here's why. Let's say you're at a restaurant with a bunch of friends and you, they don't know that you have diabetes and you are very anxious about any of them finding out because you're worried about what they may say to you, what they may think about you, and your ability to handle that. If you always get up to go to the bathroom to give yourself insulin while you're at the restaurant with them, 
you'll never actually know what the answer is. You'll never know what their response and what their reaction will be. And you'll actually, and you'll never get to know whether or not you can handle whatever reaction that is. And so by avoiding the anxiety and trying to push it off, you're actually making it worse than feeding into it because you're not able to get any kind of evidence. Maybe you check, maybe you give yourself insulin at the table and everyone starts laughing at you and they make fun of you. Well, then you know that it's probably not a good idea, not a good idea to do that. But what happens if you give yourself insulin at the table and no one notices? Or what happens if you give yourself insulin and someone says, Oh, my brother has type one. Um, I totally get it. And I'm, let me know if there's, if there's anything that I can do for you. Then you get a whole lot more information about what you were actually worried about and whether, whether your worry was realistic. And I think that that really plays in well to Alexi's advice about how she deals with the anxiety of diabetes. And really the first thing is, is to stay present and not to judge the anxiety. Because if you're going to take those steps to, uh, to face your anxiety and to be there with it and to give yourself that shot at the table at the restaurant, you have to be able to be present with that feeling. Because if you try to get rid of the feeling and push it off, you're probably going to be changing your behavior. But if you can be present with that feeling, not judge it and recognize it for what it is, and then do things, act differently, even though you have that feeling, it can actually really help you. Another thing that I really appreciated about what Alexi said was that talking about her anxiety helps her. It gets her out of her head and gives her the ability to process what she's experiencing and laying it out on the table for other people in her life so that they understand what's going on for her uh, and they can support her. But it also, for her, it just makes it less stigmatizing. If you can talk about it, you make it real, you put it out there, and you're able to move on as opposed to getting, getting wrapped up in your head and getting stuck there, which is really where anxiety tends to live and tends to thrive. And then finally, I think that she gives some really practical advice about being prepared and having a plan because there are some things that you have control over. Certainly, you may not have control over the feeling of anxiety, but you have control over the ability to plan and make sure that you're safe because after all, the point of anxiety and the reason we have it is to make sure that we're safe. So if you're going to go on a hike or go on a trip, make sure you have enough supplies. Take some extra supplies. Have a plan. If you're worried that you may go low in the middle of the night and you're living by yourself, share your CGM data with somebody and have a plan for what will happen if they don't hear from you after they try to contact you. Those are all really practical things. They're very simple things that you can do to make yourself feel safe. I think sometimes the best things we can do for our mental health are the simplest things. And Alexi hit the nail on the head with those. You know, talking about your anxiety, talking about what's going on for you, making a plan and recognizing what you can control and what you can't control and really focusing on the things that you can control. And then, of course, not judging your anxiety, just being there with it, being okay with it and not letting it mean more about you than it has to. The goal here is really to be able to ride the wave of anxiety and not let the anxiety overtake you. I always love hearing from my listeners. So if you've dealt with anxiety related to diabetes, I'd love to hear about your experience and what's helped you manage your diabetes-related anxiety. Also, if you have any topics you'd like me to address in future episodes, please let me know. 
to get in touch, go to my website, thediabetespsychologist.com, or send me an email at mark at thediabetespsychologist.com. That does it for today's episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. If you like what you heard, I would really appreciate it if you would post a review on iTunes. Also, tune in next time for episode five of this six-part series, where we'll talk about feelings of guilt and shame around diabetes. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Podcast.